this is our second week of our series called The Comeback. And this morning, I want to talk about something that I think is going to resonate with many of you. And the title of this, if you're looking for a title or or whatever, if you're a note taker and you have to have a title, I usually never give the title, so I probably frustrate a lot of you. Um, But anyway, the title for this morning is Darkness is My Closest Friend. Darkness is my closest friend. And I think the reason that I started the way that I did this morning is because I think that many of you this morning are at a place in your life where you feel like it's hopeless, where you feel like darkness is the only thing that surrounds you. And for some of you, you hear that corny phrase all the time, like maybe there's a light at the end of the tunnel, just keep going. And the reality of your life right now is there is absolutely no light at the end of the tunnel because it's the last thing that you see. So for some of us, darkness is our closest friend right now. I will be honest with you, um, the, the sermon this morning is going to be built around on, um, honesty and truthfulness, so I want to be honest with you this morning. Um, one of my biggest frustrations with Christianity is our tendency as Christians to fake spiritual maturity, to fake spiritual maturity. So let me give you an instance. Like, So we use big words to sound impressive when we're around other Christians, right? And usually a lot of times we just heard the word from somebody else and we don't know what it means, so we just try to cram it in a sentence because it makes us look smarter, right? Or, or as Christians, a lot of times to fake spiritual maturity when somebody asks you the very simple question, hey, How's it going? Sometimes the just knee-jerk reaction or the response that you may give is, hey, I'm just blessed and highly favored. When in reality, the truth is you're broke, (laughs) you're disgusted with yourself, and you don't really like yourself right now, and you don't know what to do, but you just answer this nice, polished, clean answer because the reality is you don't really want to know, you don't want to let people around you know that you're going through a difficult time. There is this tendency within Christianity sometimes to not share the reality of the truth in our life. That maybe things aren't okay. That maybe things in our life right now um, are not doing that great. I think that there's two reactions when people ask you that question. Hey, how are things going? There's two reactions that we tend to want to lean on. Number one, we just lie. (laughs) We lie. Like, somebody asks you, hey, how's it going? What's going on in your life? Hey, it's great. It's totally fine. It's totally great. And I've used this example before, and you you answer great, and your wife is researching on the internet ways to kill you and get away with it, and you're saying it's great, (laughs) right? And it's really not great. There are things in your life that are really falling apart. Or maybe you don't lie about it. Maybe the second reaction that we have is we make the struggle not appear so bad so it appears that we're handling it. What do we do? We like to polish reality sometimes. We like to polish the struggle. Yeah, I'm kind of going through this, but you know what? I've got a handle on it. It's not that bad. When in reality, in the depths of your heart, you really don't know what you're going to do. It really feels like darkness is your closest friend and you don't know where to turn. And here's the problem with that mentally. Here's the problem when we try to polish up the reality of our life sometimes. Sick people don't get better by pretending they're sick. (laughs) 
Sick people don't get better by pretending they're sick. Sick people get better when they admit, I have an illness, and they go to a doctor. Right? You can't just ignore the reality the rest of your life. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at the Psalms. And I love the Psalms because the Psalms is... And it's, it's filled with a collection of 150 psalms, and all of them are just brutally honest. A lot of them start out something like this, okay? It starts out with, God, where are you? I'm in my last darkest hour. I don't know what's going on. Have you left me? Why are you silent? I don't feel any joy right now. I feel hopelessness. I feel despair, And then they usually end something along the line, but you know what, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to put my hope in you. So the beginning usually starts off like, God, where are you? It's all these questions, it's these doubts, it's these concerns. And then they kind of turn around at the end and they give glory to God. The author of the Psalms is usually crying out in brutal honesty of the pain that they're experiencing in their life right now. Maybe they, um, I even love some of them, they question the goodness of God. Like, God, are you really good? You said you're good, but it doesn't feel like you're good in my life right now. The people in Psalms, the reason I love it is because they aren't hiding their pain or their suffering. They're just sharing the reality of life right now, and they're being blunt, and they're being brutal, and they're being honest with where they're really at. And in the midst of every psalm, you're going to find this reoccurring theme in every single psalm. They start off with either praising God or a complaint or a cry, and they end with either praising God and giving glory to God, with the exception of one, with the exception of one psalm. So Psalms 88 is kind of like this dark horse in the book of Psalms. Psalms 88 actually ends like this. And this is in verse 18. It says, You made lover and neighbor alike dump me. (laughs) The only friend I have left is darkness. And that's how he concludes it. It's like end of the psalm. The NIV translates it this way. Darkness is now my closest friend. Darkness is now my closest friend. So the question is this. How in the world do you have a comeback in your life when it seems like darkness just surrounds you. And when I use that word darkness, I mean like depression. I mean despair. I mean hopelessness. Maybe a marriage that is on the fray. Maybe a spiritual life where at one time it was this vibrant, filled life of you pursuing and fighting to know Jesus on a daily basis. And then it seems like it just kind of waned out. This darkness. Now, I ask this question, why would God put this dark, depressing psalm in psalms? Why would it end where it doesn't bring glory to God whatsoever? It doesn't end saying, you know what, I'm in this dark day, but God, you're going to get me through it. It ends with saying, hey, darkness is now my closest friend. The end. (laughs) That's a sucky story. Darkness is now my closest friend. And the truth is, here's the truth. There is going to be hopeless moments in your life. When people can tell you all the cliche things, they can say, hey, just keep going. There's going to be a light at the end of the tunnel. But your circumstances right now, it seems like, no, no way. 
No way. Darkness is my closest friend. There's going to be seasons in your life when you don't think any good can come out of it. You're going to be in this Psalm 88 moment and you're going, like this author of Psalms 88 is saying, darkness is now my closest friend and I don't know what to do. I'm lost. I have prayed. I have read my Bible. I have worshipped. I have done everything that I know how to do. And it still seems like the circumstance and the situation is hopeless. What do I do? Maybe it's death. Maybe somebody you love just randomly and suddenly passed away. And maybe, maybe there's just some things in your mind some thoughts that just will not go away. Maybe you're taking medicine to help you with your thoughts and that's not even working. Maybe there's depression so bad, it's so hard to get out of bed in the morning and you don't, you don't know what to do. And you've done everything that you can think of. You've gone to people, you've asked for help, you, you don't know what to do. And so here's what I want to do. I want to actually read Um, all of Psalms 88 to kind of give you a better understanding of what this author is saying and the brutal honesty that he has. And as I read this, I, I want you to think of a few things. I want you to note there is not a single attempt in this psalm that I'm about to read where he tries to polish up reality. Not a single attempt. He's just brutal. He's honest. He's raw about what he's really feeling. And I'm going to read, I don't do this often, Um, I'm going to read out of the message version because I just love the way that it puts it. And so if you have a Bible, um, it's in, I'm in Psalms 88 and I'm going to start in verse 1. If not, it'll be on the screen for you guys. It starts off with this, it says, God, you are my last chance of the day. I spend the night on my knees before you. So let me just note this, it starts off where he's saying, okay, God, here I am. I'm praying again, I'm reading again, Nothing. What, what's going on, nothing's happening. And then next line he says, put me on your salvation agenda, take notes of the trouble I'm in. This is what he's saying, hey God, save me again because I don't really think I've really been saved. Help. He says, I've had my fill of trouble, I'm camped on the edge of hell. I'm written off as a lost, lost cause, one more statistic, a hopeless case abandoned as already dead one more body in a stack of corpses and not so much as a gravestone i'm in a black hole of oblivion you've dropped me into a bottomless pit sunk me in a pitch black abyss i'm battered senseless by your rage relentlessly pounded by your waves of anger you turned my friends against me made me horrible to them i'm caught in a maze and can't find my way out Maybe this next line will resonate with some of you. Blinded by tears of pain and frustration, I call to you. God, all day I call. I wring my hands. I plead for help. Are the dead a live audience for your miracles? Do ghosts ever join the choirs that praise you? Does your love make any difference in a graveyard? Is your faithful presence noticed in the corridors of hell? Are your marvelous wonders ever seen in the dark, your righteous ways noticed in the land of no memory? I'm standing my ground, God shouting for help at my prayers every morning on my knees each daybreak. 
Why, God, do you turn a deaf ear? So this is what he's saying. I'm praying. I'm doing everything that I know how to do. And God, why are you silent? Why are you silent? He says, why do you make yourself scarce? For as long as I remember, I've been hurting. I've been taking the worst you can hand out, and I've had it. Your wildfire anger has blazed through my life. I'm bleeding black and blue. You've attacked me fiercely from every side, raining down blows till I'm nearly dead. You made lover and neighbor alike dump me. The only friend I have left is darkness. This is what brutal honesty looks like. Man, he he doesn't let hold back anything. There's no attempt to polish up his life. He's just like, here it is, this is what I'm feeling, and I'm throwing it out there. God, here's what I'm feeling. I feel like you've left me. I feel like you've abandoned me. Why are you silent? Where are you? The only thing I know is darkness. It's darkness. And now he even claims it as his closest friend. I think the reason in this passage if resonates with so many people in here is because of the fact that it's so honest. It's so honest. There is no attempt to polish reality. I'm positive that some of you in here, when, when I'm reading these words, it resonates with you so much because you see the honesty in the text. And that here's a man who is doing everything that he knows how to do and it's just not working. And maybe you find yourself in this very reality right now. Just a little caveat to this, a little side note. The world relates to our Jesus when we're willing to be weak, not squeaky clean. See, the reason that this is so relatable to so many of us is because he's he's having a moment of vulnerability. He's just saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to just take this time to let people know what I'm really going through. Look, this is what's really going on in my heart. Things aren't okay. I'm in a dark time. I'm in a dark moment right now, and I, I don't know what to do. There's not a single attempt to polish the reality of the author's current circumstances. So this psalm is about honesty. He's being open. He's being honest with his true thoughts, his true feelings. And I want to do the same this morning. Um, many of you know that a, a few, probably about two months ago or so, um, my wife and I stood up here on this stage and we said, hey, listen, we finally come to a decision that we're going to go ahead and we're going um, to do foster care and then we're going to adopt another, uh, it was going to be a little girl. And so um, we were getting ready for this whole process. We've been doing a lot of research about it. We've been praying about it. And it, it, you can go back and listen to it. I think it was probably two months ago that I talked about this. If you want to hear more of the story, you can listen to it on podcasts. But... Um, and part of the journey that I, that I talked about is that it took me about six years to finally arrive at this point, okay, where I could finally say, okay, God, I trust you enough to be able to do this. And one of the reasons that I had, one of the lines that I said is that it's not that I had a problem hearing from God, it was that I had a problem trusting God in this moment. And so finally, when I, I felt like God just spoke to me crystal clear, like, Zach, just go, step out, do this. And so my wife and I, we're all wrapped in, we're doing this, we go to the orientation, we get all signed up, we're getting ready to go, and the, uh, or, we're supposed to start classes yesterday. And um, so on Wednesday, I'm reading some articles, and then all of a sudden I see this article that's printed, and this new law that goes into place in the state of Louisiana saying, hey, you cannot foster or adopt 
a child if you have five or more children in your home already. So that immediately eliminates my wife and I from the equation because I can't, like, sell one of my kids on the black market or anything. That's not going to work, you know. So it eliminates us. So let me, I want to tell, the reason I want to share this story this morning is because right now in the story, there's no resolve. Like, it's not like we've seen the faithfulness of God come through yet. If I'm being honest with you, when I read it, I was angry. (laughs) I think I was angry. I was frustrated. One of my first kind of things, and if I'm just being honest, when I went to God, I'm like, God, I'm pretty sure I thought I heard from you. Like, I'm pretty sure I thought you said that we were going to be able to do this, and now this, like, what's going on? What's going on? And the reason that I wanted to share part of this story with you today is because a lot of times what ends up happening in our lives is we, we share the story when we have the resolve, when God's come through. And we don't like to share the story when we're in the middle of it and we're in the pain of it and the hurt of it. But the truth is that's when people resonate with us the most, when we share our weakness and say, look, I'm, I'm angry, <laughs> I'm frustrated. I'm broken over this. I thought that God spoke to me in this particular situation, and now what's going on? Now, this is not to say that Claire and I are not trusting and believing in God. We believe that there's still going to be a way for us to do this. We don't know how it's going to happen yet. I mean, the story, it's not the end of the road for us. It's not the end of the story. But the reason that I I share this whole thing is because there are going to be moments in your life when this roadblock arises and it seems like darkness and despair and hopelessness is the only thing that you got. So the question that remains and the question that begs to be answered from all of this is what now? Like how do I have a comeback in the middle of darkness, in the middle of hopelessness? How do I get through this. Because the truth is, many of you one day will face a Psalms 88 moment. And the longer that I've lived, I'm only 29 years old, so it's not that long. But the longer that I've lived, I've seen, even if you don't face a Psalms 88 moment in your life, God will intentionally place you around people that do. so that you can somewhat feel that and have compassion for them. Claire and I don't have the story that my dad does of battling with cancer for five years. We don't have the story that Pastor Josh and Miss Lindsay do, a son that has a terminal illness. But we've been close to these people for a long time and being able to share in their suffering and in their pain and being able to walk and watch them and help them walk through this stuff. But the truth is, the reality of it is, many of us will come to that Psalms 88 moment where it feels like, man, God's silent. Has God left me? Has he abandoned me? God, where are you? It feels like darkness is your closest friend. So what do we do in these moments? Because the truth is, some of you are at them right now. Like, what do we do? I have three things that are kind of based out of the Psalms. They're not based out of Psalms 88, because that would be depressing. (laughs) They're based out of some other Psalms. Um... So, so what do we do? Number one, and these are going to fa- sound very simple, okay? Number one, cry out to God. Simply start by crying out to God. See, the Bible actually encourages us to ask hard questions, to wrestle with deep things. Scripture is filled with people who face tragedy 
And the only thing that they knew how to do was cry out to God. I don't know if you remember the story of Lazarus. So this guy, Lazarus, he gets sick. Okay? He dies. And it says this entire group of people are just mourning his death. They are sad. They are crying. They can't believe. What's interesting about the story is when Lazarus was sick, they sent word to Jesus. Go tell Jesus that Lazarus is sick. And if Jesus doesn't get here quickly, Lazarus is going to die. Well, Jesus has some business to take care of. And he doesn't make it a priority to get to Lazarus quickly. Lazarus dies. Like four days dead. Okay? Lazarus is dead for four days. Lazarus is like mummified dead. I don't know if you know what this means. They have removed his organs. Drained his blood. This dude is dead. (laughs) They have wrapped him like a mummy. So when Jesus finally gets the word that Lazarus is dead, he makes his way over there. He gets there four days later. Lazarus is in this tomb. And Martha and Mary come up to, to Jesus and they say these words. They say, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Kind of sarcastically. God, if you would have just got here on time, he wouldn't be dead. Where were you? What were you doing? See, because for the last four days, all they have experienced is darkness, the pain, the sting, and the taste of death. And then you know the story. Even death could not keep Jesus from resurrecting Lazarus from that grave. What does he do? It, even if you read the, uh, it's in, it's in uh, John chapter 11, if you go and you read the story, it says that Jesus actually begins to become frustrated that people were crying and weeping. Because he's going, hold on, I, I am the resurrection, and I am the life. Why are you worried about this? <laughs> Lazarus, come out. This dude walks out of here, out of that grave, completely alive. Completely alive. And I'm absolutely confident of this. If some of you in here today would begin to cry out to Jesus, he will resurrect the dark, dead things in your life that only he can. And for many of us, we just have to start there. Like some of you are in dark days right now. You're in dark moments right now. And you're not even crying out to God. You're just saying, I'm in this darkness. What do I do? Number one, start by crying out to Jesus. Don't be, don't get to the place that Jonah had to get to before you cry out to Jesus. So let me share another short story with you. If you know the story of Jonah, God tells Jonah, he says, hey, listen, go to Nineveh, preach to these people, tell them about me, give them the gospel. And Jonah's kind of knee-jerk reaction is, God, do you know who these people are? They're very hostile. They're going to kill me if I go here. And God, are you serious? You want to save these people? These are some of the most wicked people on the planet. Why should I go to them? So Jonah has this bright idea. He says, you know what? Let me get on a ship. I'm going to get on a ship, and I'm going to hide. I'm going to run away from God. I don't know if you know this. It doesn't, you can go on every nook and cranny corner of the earth. You cannot hide from God. 
So Jonah gets on this boat. This great storm begins to arise. All the people on it begin to start crying out to their own gods, save us. And Jonah says, hey, listen, um, guys, it's, it's my fault. <laughs> Just throw me off the ship. If you throw me off the ship, the storm's going to, I've disobeyed God. I've ran away from him. Just throw me off the ship. I would beg to question that Jonah probably knew when they threw him off the ship that that was the end of his life. So he's probably already going, I'm going to go off the ship. I should have just obeyed God. I'm going to drown in the middle of the sea. So they throw him off the ship. And what happens? The storm immediately calms. And then he's probably swimming around. Okay, maybe I can tread some water for a little bit. And then a little bit. And then boom, this dude gets eaten by a fish. At which moment I'd be like, God, seriously? I just jumped off of a ship. And then you send a fish to eat me? I think I got the point. So this is, we pick it up in Jonah 1, verse 17. So this is what happens. He jumps off, the fish swallows him. It says, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then watch this. I would imagine that is the darkest hour of his life, right? (laughs) You are crammed up in this fish's stomach. And then he says, then Jonah prayed. (laughs) I think that's kind of funny. Okay, God, maybe I should have went to Nineveh. (laughs) Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. So Jonah is in the darkest moment of his life. He cries out to God, and God hears him. So some of us need to simply start by just crying out to Jesus. The darkness you're facing right now does not have to be the source of your depression. It could be the fuel that starts you and brings you back to Jesus. See, sometimes God intentionally allows you to go through dark moments in your life so you can finally be driven down so low that you realize you can't do it on your own. Your plan all along is not what you needed. You need to cry out to Jesus. Number two, draw near to Jesus. Don't just simply cry out to Jesus. Draw near to Jesus. Darkness may seem like your closest friend right now, but the truth is Jesus is a closer friend than darkness. See, even when God is silent, it does not mean that he's not working. Even when you're doing everything that you know how to do and you don't hear anything and you don't get a response, it does not mean that God is not working. Psalm 34 says it this way, starting in verse 17. Is anyone crying for help? Is that you this morning? Is anyone crying for help? God is listening, ready to rescue you. If your heart is broken, you'll find God right there. If you're kicked in the gut, he'll help you catch your breath. Disciples so often get into trouble. Still, God is there every time. He's your bodyguard, shielding every bone. Not even a finger gets broken. The wicked commit slow suicide. They waste their lives hastening the good. But God pays for each slave's freedom. And I love this line. No one who runs to him loses out. No one who runs to Jesus loses. 
There is not a single attempt or a single fight to know Jesus better on a daily basis that does not go unnoticed. Are you fighting to know Jesus on a daily basis? Are you doing everything that you can to draw near to him? And maybe you're in some severe bout of depression right now, and you're like, I don't even have the strength to pray because I don't even know what to pray. And if that's you and you're like, I can barely get out of bed in the morning, can you just simply say, God, help me? Can you change the soundtrack of your life? Because the truth is, a lot of times when you're in dark circumstances, that is your soundtrack. That's all you hear, repeat over and over. Maybe it's the bad and broken marriage. That's all you can think about over and over. So it's hard to pursue Jesus. You know, one of the greatest and most refreshing things for my soul in the world is music. Some of the greatest times in the world and the greatest intimacy that I've had with Jesus is not reading my Bible or praying. I'm one of those guys, I will listen to a worship song, I will listen to the same one, and I'm not joking, like a hundred times. Like, right, as it's over, play it again. (laughs) It's a play it again. And the truth is, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to change the soundtrack. If I'm being honest with you in here, um, I never in my life, and I've had these conversations in my life, I've never dealt with depression until we started this church. Ever. Like, I never knew what that even felt like. And then we start this church, and I'm like, oh, that's what that feels like. This is terrible. I've walked through some dark days, and the truth is, worship is what gets you out of that. And when I say worship, I'm not necessarily meaning just songs. Okay, so there, there may be days where you don't have the strength to do much. But can you bring glory to God in some kind of small way that takes your eyes off of the current circumstances and focuses them back on who your Savior is and the only one that is going to pull you out of that darkness? Look, there may be disease, there may be trial, there may be all these things swirling around you. Draw near to Jesus. And the truth is, Jesus faced the harshest reality in the darkest day when he was hanging on the cross and he was abandoned by his father for a moment. He knows what you're going through. He knows exactly what you're facing. Even when God is silent, don't stop fighting to draw near And just because God is silent sometimes, it does not mean that he's left you. And there are are spouts all throughout the Old Testament. When Jesus is like, you know what, I'm not going to say anything for 400 years. How about that? Uh, That's a bout of silence. Did it mean that God just disappeared and he didn't love his people anymore? No. Sometimes the darkness in your life can be the very thing that you need to come back to more and greater intimacy with Jesus. Number three, this is the biggest one. The one that, if I'm just being honest with you today, the one that many of you probably will not do. (laughs) 
because it's so difficult, because it takes a level where you have to take your pride, you have to put it on display, and you have to let God crush it. It's hard. See, it's easy to say, okay, I'm going to cry out to God, I'm going to draw near to Jesus, and there may be things of that 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 are difficult. But then here comes the third one. Reach out for help. Reach out for help. This goes back to what I said in the very beginning. Stop faking spiritual maturity. Stop faking like everything in your life is okay. Here's the deal. What would it look like when you walk through these doors and we created a church that was just gut level honest with each other? Man, we could do some serious damage for the kingdom of God. If we had this understanding, you know what, when I walk through these doors and throughout the week, the people that God has connected to me in this church, we're just going to be honest with each other. What would it look like if somebody called you on the phone and every time they called you and they asked you a question that you weren't nervous that they were going to find out some secret sin in your life? Or you could say, call me about anything because I'm not hiding anything. I've got nothing to hide. And, And even if you fall and they point something out in your life, it's like, man, thank you for pointing that out. I didn't even realize I was doing that. You're not intentionally hiding things. Stop faking spiritual maturity. Run to the church, run to the body of Christ and admit that you're a mess. (laughs) See, this is difficult for people. This is difficult because we like to polish our own realities. Hey, everything in life, yes, there may be some difficult areas in my life, but you know what, it's not that bad. I don't need anybody else to help me. My question for you is how's that working out for you? Because you've been telling yourself for a long time that you don't need anybody else and you're still dealing with the same issue that you were dealing with 10 years ago. And it's still got a chokehold and a grip on your life. But the reason that I love Psalm 88 and the reason that I preach, it seems odd to preach a sermon on it, but the reason that I love it is because it's just honest, it's messy, and many times the truth is. It's just, hey, this is just where I'm at. This is just what I'm dealing with. This is just who I am, and this is what I'm walking through. And I'll be honest with you. Some of you in here this morning need to say this with your very lips. Here's what I'm dealing with. Fill in the blank. I can't face it on my own any longer, and I need help. Here's what I'm dealing with. I can't face it on my own any longer, and I need help. Listen to me. The Spirit of God will radically set you free if you can admit these words with your own lips. I don't have everything under control. Here's this secret I've been hiding. Here's this thing that I've been going through. Here's this bout of depression that nobody knows about. The Spirit of God will radically set you free if you can just get honest. It says there's one sin in the Bible that God absolutely despises, and you know, it's the root of every other sin, which is pride. Which is pride. You cannot grow until you allow your pride to be smashed. 
I've seen it in my own life. There are areas spiritually in my life where I have just stayed stuck until I've been willing to come to terms. You know what? I am not everything that I am cracked up to be or that I think I'm cracked up to be. And I'll be honest with you, being in my position, sometimes that gets hard. Like, man, if I admit something, I'm supposed to be a pastor, right? But the enemy is clever. Hey, if you admit this, if you say this, if you deal with this, people are going to think of you differently, whatever it may be. And listen, maybe you have a past relationship in here and you opened up about some stuff and you were honest. It didn't go so well for you. Maybe it just burned you. You're like, ah, oh, never opening up again about that because <laughs> they just told everyone. <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. See, that's why I said in the very beginning, run to the body of Christ. I'm not talking about run to a friend and gossip about your problems. <laughs> hey, girl, this is what I'm dealing with. Me too. <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about. Like run to people that will actually help you and love you. Run to people that will love you, people that will help you. And if you look around this, if you look in the span of your life and there's nobody there that you know that you can trust, then it solidifies the very fact, the reason that you need to get rooted and planted into a church. Because this is what the body of Jesus is all about. Saying, hey, you can't do this by yourself. You can't do this on your own. Now, if Psalms 88 were the only psalm you were to ever read, it would seem that darkness prevails, right? That darkness wins. But in God's stories, hopelessness is never the victor. Darkness is never the victor. Psalms 88 is in fact a very hopeful song precisely because God included it in his hope-filled book. And I think God intentionally put it in there to be this little hint of saying, hey, you know what? Yes, I'm full of hope, but there's going to be days when you can't do it by yourself. There's going to be days when it seems like there is no light at the end of the tunnel, and it seems like no matter what you do, it's not going to work. And this is the dangerous part about darkness. When you go through dark days, it is so easy to fix your eyes on the current circumstances without zooming out and getting a clear picture of the bigger and grander story that Jesus is doing in your life. This is why Psalms 88 is so important. To remind us, hey, don't get so focused on the darkness that you're dealing with now. Remember that God has a plan for you. Zoom out. Zoom out. See, you can face the darkest realities of your life because your father is sovereign, meaning he has everything under control. And Jesus is your closest friend if you will cry out to him, if you will draw near to him, and if you will reach out for help. God's mercy, God's grace, they're all available in your pain in your defeat, your failure, and even your darkest hour. So let's conclude with this. In your darkness, in your Psalms 88 moment, that time when everything seems hopeless, you can choose to focus on that circumstance right then and there, 
Or you can choose to say, you know what, I'm going to zoom out a little bit. I don't see any light at the end of the tunnel right now. But I know if I keep continuing to pursue and push into Jesus, that Jesus will get me through this. And listen, it may not be a quick process. I'll be honest with you. (laughs) It may be something that takes a while. It may take a few months. It may take a year. It may take two years. It may take five years. But I can promise you this, the end result is worth it. Then I can also promise you this. If you reach out for help and you get around people that will love you, this journey will be so much easier. So much easier. 